0: This is Peak Humans episode number 136. The Peak Humans podcast is where you come to get world class insights, tools, and strategies on the psychology of peak performance and high performance habits. Today's show is with Jason Picard. Jason became a billion dollar portfolio manager and partner to hedge fund legend Paul Tudor Jones at Tudor Investment. By the age of 26, He was recognized as one of the top 30 traders under 30 years old in the world. Yet, his health was on absolute decline. He was 330 pounds and suffered from a mental and physical health crisis. On a quest to become a master of both his inner and outer worlds, he decided to travel the world, spending thousands of dollars and studying for thousands of hours, learning directly from the greatest masters of a wide variety of healing arts, martial arts, holistic nutrition, and movement, cutting-edge psychology, and wisdom traditions of the East and West, ancient, indigenous, and contemporary. He has now integrated the wisdom gained on his journey by creating the Abundance Archetype Method to help you discover and actualize your supernatural capabilities to create wealth and well-being in your life, to thrive at work while also feeling your best. This, in turn, will give you a greater sense of your reason for being alive at this pivotal moment in human history. Now, before we get into today's show, a quick word from our sponsor, AG1. One of my favorite parts of my morning routine is drinking AG1. It provides my body with all of the nutrition it needs and supports my immunity. AG1 is made up of 75 high-quality, whole-food-sourced ingredients pre- and probiotics, and empowers the gut for whole body health. Essential daily routines like drinking AG1 helps me stay committed to my health. Tap my link in the show notes to get a free one-year supply of vitamin D drops plus five travel packs with your first purchase of AG1. And now, please enjoy today's show with Jason Picard. Jason, thank you for joining us on the show. I'm excited to talk to you.
1: It is so cool to be here. Thank you.
0: Yeah, absolutely, man. Um, let's. I want to share with people how I actually connected with you because I was listening to uh, Paul Check on his podcast. Who's I love Paul Check. He's a legend. He's like one of the. I don't want to say few, but there's not that many people that are like really legit and like doing things from a beautiful heart space um, and really having a huge impact in the world. And also, he's a master learner, right? He learns. He's always reading books and like consolidating and filtering and like sharing right so he's a, a true master so it's really cool to to know his work uh, and then to hear you on it i was like oh cool i, I gotta talk to this guy so um i was g- lucky to reach out to you and i'm grateful that you responded to me to uh, cho- join the show
1: yeah man paul is probably the og right he's the original yeah. but he might be the sg the real spiritual gangster
0: Oh yeah. Yeah, you know. <laughs> definitely so, he, he's a lot of different gangsters, but yeah, definitely the SG for sure.
1: Yeah.
0: So so tell us uh about you a little bit. How did you connect with Paul? Like what got you yeah, what, what got you into Paul's world and into and also what you're doing now? Because I know you're doing uh, your awesome uh it's called uh the abundance, abundance archetype.
2: archetype. Yeah,
0: I don't know why, I don't know why I lost it. I was thinking about it all day after the abundance archetype program, which we're definitely gonna dig into because I know there's eight awesome pillars behind it, and I want to yeah. share share as much as possible with the audience uh, without giving too much away. Obviously, you can't give all of it on, on this call anyway, right? You got to really, do, it's experiential, right? So you actually got to go through the process, but I want to share more of uh, what that's about too. But uh, let's start with uh, your story and how you met Paul. And even before that, I know you were in New York doing some trading as well, so.
1: Yeah, thank you. So I mean, yeah, my my kind of autobiographical story leads into Paul Check very nicely. So, you know, in a nutshell, I was graduated from college, I went to the University of Virginia, and I was really kind of wanting to go into the finance world from the time I was a very young kid. And you know, we could explore that too. But the reality is, is that that's really kind of all I ever knew. I was like, this is what my version of success looks like. So after I got out of college, I was looking for trading jobs. I found one And it turned out that I was quite good at it. And at a very young age, I had a lot of success. By the time I was 25 years old, I was hired to work for Paul Tudor Jones, who was my childhood idol. He's considered one of the greatest investors alive, if not of all time. And by the time I was 26, I was ranked one of the top 30 traders under 30 years old in the world. I had made millions of dollars. I was super successful. I was on my way to becoming the youngest partner ever at Tudor. Tudor Investment, Paul's firm. But at the same time, I was 330 pounds. I was in a mental, emotional, and physical health crisis, and I was on the verge of dying. And I had to look at myself and say, What the heck just happened? What is going on? You're yep. 300, you know, you, you're the most successful person in some ways of all the people that you grew up with, of all the people you went to college with, all of the people that were raising their hands in the front of the class while you're sitting in the back screwing off. You're, you're, crushing all of them. But in the same way, you're probably the least successful in, in health and relationships. Yep. And it was this big, like, what is going on? It was really this like very big paradox that I was in. And I was in a very precarious state of health. It was very, very challenging for me. So I had the fortune of meeting a Czech professional, somebody who had kind of just taken some of, some of Paul Czech's courses, and was living in New York City where I was at the time. And I spent the next two years working out like a madman. Yeah, the the same kind of intensity that I brought to Wall Street, I then put into fitness. And it was a very sort of CrossFit, for lack of a better word, mentality, where it was really a no pain, no gain, just wake up every day, seven days a week, sometimes two times a day, just sweating and running Mm -hmm. and not really focusing on balance or uh, stretching or, you know, massage or self-care, but really just a lot of fitness and over the, over the course of those two years, I lost 170 pounds. Wow. And it was quite phenomenal. And everyone around me was, was pretty impressed, including myself on some levels, but the weird paradox that still was there was that despite now having money and despite having physical fitness, I didn't feel much different on the inside. Mm. I still, I still felt kind of empty and I still felt like something was missing. And I didn't feel that sense of abundance or that sense of purpose or, or fulfillment that I was ultimately searching for, and that's when I met Paul Check in 2009, and realized that this was an inside job, mm. this was an, an inside game, and that that led me into a whole last 15 years of exploration into everything that is around her inner world, you know, mentally and and psychologically and spiritually and have studied with many, many people across a whole multitude of fields and ultimately integrated that back into my work. So that's that's essentially how I met Paul. And just fast forward, I did that really well and sustainably on Wall Street for about 10 years where I was able to really do what I love to do and do my job well, but also not at the expense of my health or my relationships. And in 2019, I retired and spent the last couple of years trying to figure out what my real kind of second half or my second career was. And it was ultimately where I realized that when I was in the finance world, there were all these people that had wealth, but they didn't have any inner wealth. They had outer wealth, but not inner wealth. And then I I went into the spiritual world and the coaching world, and I recognized that there were a lot of people that had a lot of inner wealth, but had no outer wealth. And I said, isn't that interesting? There's a divorce. We've had a terrible divorce between wealth and spirituality. Yeah, <laughs> And I, I said, okay, well, maybe it's my job to uh, create a union again. And, you know, that's that's really been my path of creating my course, The Abundance Archetype, how I could teach people how to marry the two, mm. how to have inner and outer wealth, and how to make a big impact in the world, and how to literally master yourself at the same time.
0: Mm. Wow, I love that. That's amazing. So many ways to go with that, uh, all that information you just shared. And what you just said about that, I love... You, you bridge the gap between the Titans of Wall Street, who you worked with, because I don't know if they get any better than Paul Tudor Jones, and also and also sitting with the Masters of the Heart and Soul, which yeah. is what you recently been doing over the last uh, few years now, right?
1: Yeah. Well, I've been doing that since 2009, really. Wow. Um, yeah. So, I mean, you know, I, I've been studying with Paul Check for 14 years privately. I'm his longest running private student, and I really just devoured yeah him, him and his work. And, you know, we've become very, very... Intimate in terms of our friendship, and then I and I studied people in all different fields, from process work, psychology, to yoga, to shamanism and Native American teachings, tarot, um, martial arts, tai chi, etc. And, and I really, I really kind of had this insatiable, insatiable desire to really find out, really, what does it mean to to live life well? Yep. What does it mean to be human? Why are we here? Where are we going? What's the purpose of all this? And I was really on this big journey of growth and discovery to discover ultimately myself. Yeah. And, and so, yeah, I took that same kind of attitude, and I, I used the privileges that I had had earned and were given through my Wall Street career to then take it out and to use that money to to study with the best people, and then I I I, I looked at it as a responsibility mm. to, to to learn and to pass these lineages down and to ultimately consolidate them into the kind of my own view of how to have the best of all those worlds.
0: That's so cool. I love that. Amazing. Um, What gives you that drive and that hunger to do, like you did it with trading and then you did it with your fitness and now you're doing it with the, uh, the the abundance archetype program, right. And helping people establish not only the external wealth, but most importantly, the inner wealth.
1: Yeah, it's a really good question. You know, for me, it's been sort of a fascinating reflection because I was doing this stuff on wall street and I was sort of the best student there. Yeah. And then I would would go to Paul check and he would say, Hey man, you're my best student. And then I would hear that from, from six other people. And I thought to myself, what am I doing? What is it that, that, that is making me, you know, be everyone's best students is like, what, what are other people doing wrong or what am I doing right? And ultimately it was really fascinating is that I didn't actually, resolve that in myself until I started studying process oriented psychology Mm -hmm. and in process work psychology founded by Dr. Arnold Mandel, he says that our earliest childhood memories or our earliest childhood dreams are the key to our life's purpose and can really be very helpful to understanding our core wounding and also our core powers. Mm -hmm. And so when I go back to my earliest childhood memories, my my first, one of my earliest memories was bringing home my first report card to my mom at the age six or seven and I gave it to my mom and I was expecting to be rewarded. And she said, ah, this is not quite what I expected. And I, I, I just flipped out like to me, to me, that really like struck a very deep chord of like, this is unacceptable, you know, but what was, was interesting was that it kind of set up a core wound and a core power. Yep. The, The core power was that it made me drive to be the best student. I I took a job on Wall Street, which was all about having a constant report card. Every single second of every day, you know your value. And then I became the best student of all these teachers. But ultimately, the core wound, which also led to me being 330 pounds, was that I was constantly looking for that sense of accomplishment or fulfillment coming from the external world coming from a teacher telling me that I was good coming from my trading you know profit and loss statement or my boss or Paul saying you did a good job yeah and ultimately you know it held that balance of being my greatest strength and my greatest weakness simultaneously and ultimately in my life I've had to resolve that I've had to become my own mother mm-hmm. I've had you know I have a beautiful amazing mother but I you know metaphorically I've had to learn to nourish myself And what was what was missing in that moment was was the teacher, the wise elder, the wise teacher, which is ultimately what all of this has grown me into is now becoming a teacher of others. So when you look back at your earliest childhood dreams or your earliest childhood memories, what you love to do as a kid, what actually gave you so much joy that nobody else had to tell you to do, but you just were naturally drawn to those kinds of things can be a great clue on how to live out your, your life purpose and fulfillment. That's essentially what your soul's purpose was.
0: Yeah, I love that, that's amazing. It's so true, just kind of play, like we talked about before, play and just finding that sense of joy and uh, passion in your life, right? And just bring that out more.
1: It's really essential. You know, I mean, if you don't love what you do, this is the first step in, in the, eight, the eight keys of mastery. It's like, if you yeah. don't love, if you don't love what you do, it's not sustainable. Yep. You know, you have to really, as George Leonard says in, in his book, Mastery, surrender to your passion. Yep. All all of the greatest masters in any field really love what they do. And in that way, it's not labor. It's a labor of love. It's not to say it's not hard work, but to really sustain, have, a, have become an infinite player or an infinite investor of whatever you're doing. You have to have something that goes beyond just the money. It has to be a really deep love of what you're doing.
0: Yeah. So cool let me ask you this question. What, what's the best investment you can make? Uh, For me, I, you know, I, I did a little social media
1: thing on this recently. And and, and I said like, you know, people come to me all the time and they say, Hey man, you know, should I invest in stocks or in bonds or this mutual fund or crypto or this or that? And ultimately I'm like, look, I don't know. You know, to be honest, when I was on wall street, I had a very specific niche. Yep. What I knew was I studied the weather. My partner was an amazing meteorologist. And what we did is we studied all of the markets in the world, essentially all of the global commodity markets like energy, like natural gas or crude oil or heating oil and all of the different crops like corn and soybeans and wheat and sugar and orange juice and coffee and cocoa and things like that. And what we identified was the times of the year, the times of the year when these markets were extremely sensitive to the weather yeah we didn't we didn't want to become a cocoa expert we didn't want to become a natural gas expert we wanted to be a weather ex- expert so we knew when these indiv- individual markets were essentially weather markets for periods of time sometimes only 3 or 4 weeks out of the year but that's when we would hone in on those particular markets and use our edge which is understanding the weather and its impact on those markets yeah. to make good opportunities And we would find times of the year, like April and October, when there's not a lot of weather because we're in between seasons, that we literally had no edge and we were more successful taking time off work because we always found that in those months, we lost money, right? So ultimately the best investment is in what you know, what makes you different, your alpha, your differentiating factor. You know, find something that you love to do that you know better than anybody else. Because if you walk into the stock market, If you walk into the commodity market or the bond market, I mean, you're going to have your lunch eaten for you. I mean, essentially, like you're working with computers that there are billions of dollars behind that are fighting for fractions of a millisecond. Not even a millisecond, fractions of a millisecond. Yep. Computers can execute trades extremely well. Computers can do portfolio construction really well. But what computers can't do is they can't really think outside the box. They don't have human potential for idea generation. You know, they can innovate. They can take something that's already been done and make it better, but they can't create. They can't tap into an an infinite or an unknown intelligence. Only humans can do that. And we have the power of the wisdom of our body. We have the wisdom of our dreaming. We have the wisdom of our heart. And ultimately we need to know that there's nobody else on this planet like us who has our unique skills and gifts and to the extent that we can make ourselves the best investment and bring out all parts of ourselves, whether or not that's knowing what diet works for us or how much sleep we need or what brings us joy or what kind of relationship do we need to be in a monogamous or a poly relationship or what kind of spiritual practices work for us, whatever it is, it doesn't yeah. matter. It's knowing it for you and in that same way, knowing how you make money, what makes you uniquely great and bring that out and, and, and really develop your own process to doing it.
0: I love that. I totally agree. That's awesome. And one of the things I, Warren Buffett always would say, I remember him saying this when I worked for Tony Robbins, we'd always say it when we spoke to people, Warren Buffett would say this, he said, the best investment ever made is in myself. He took a Dale Carnegie public speaking course when he was in early teens or late teens and early twenties. And he said, it really helped him. Uh, Warren Buffett's a great, he's a great influencer, right? He's a great, uh, persuasive, uh, person. And, uh, he learned how to communicate with people and obviously by investing in himself, he was, uh, became better at that. Which, it, it's,
1: it's totally yeah. true. I mean, the, one of the first books I, I read, uh, when I was getting into wall street was a book by Peter Lynch. And essentially what he said is invest in what, you know, Yeah, and I, and I mean, first of all, what do you know better than yourself? Right. Uh, second of all, that's a good point. You yeah. know, th- th- there are some, th- there are some simple, simple, practical aspects to that as well. It's like, in 2001, or, or, you know, yeah, 2001 or 1999, I remember, I can go back and I can look at my Amazon account. And in, when I was in college, I was buying CDs on Amazon in like 99 and 2000. You know, by having a direct experience of being on Amazon, if I just stood back and said to myself, this is something I know, I'm using it. And I know this, and this is good. And just invested in that, how yep. much what return would that have been? You know, when I when I held the first generation iPod in my hand, I'm like, this is gonna revolutionize the world. Right. Instead of, instead of just, you know, converting all of my CDs into MP3s and losing all the quality, <laughs> which I later found out was a terrible move if you like music, because it, it gets, you know, the quality is compressed down from like the size of a ruler to like a centimeter. But right. just by looking at this and holding this and saying that, the same thing in, in, in 2000, um, 16, I bought my first Tesla. Instead of just enjoying the Falcon wing doors, just saying, wow, this car might revolutionize the world. Yeah. And so it doesn't have to be so complex. You know, you know yourself better than anyone else. And so whether or not that's investing in a coach or education or mentorship or whatever it is, even your health, but also the things in your life that you come into contact with, which you have a direct experience in knowing that they're useful and that they could be more useful to people over time.
0: I love that, yeah. And I love it. You nailed it, right? I think a lot of times humans make things more complicated than we think that needs to be harder than it actually needs to be. So that was a great point that you made. So speaking of that, you have your eight-week program for the investor who wants to embrace overflowing abundance in every aspect of their life. And I think investor, when you say that, it's more like everybody's an investor, right? Like the most important investment we're making every single day is our investment of our time, but also our focus and our attention or energy
1: totally so
0: tell us about the abundance archetype program what's that all about
1: you know it's interesting even the word investor yeah because the word vest means you know like when when we're in when we're business it means like we're all we're we're vested we're fully in but yeah in in reality a vest is something that we clothe or we surround ourselves with to be vested Mm. and so you know what are we Surrounding ourselves with what are we closing, clothing ourselves with? What are we cl- clothing, or what are we supporting with? Even the, the businesses, or the projects, or our impact on the world, right? And so, yep. you know, ultimately we're all investors. Every time we spend money, we're investing in something. You know, people think, oh, I, I better go out and vote. Well, the reality is, is you're voting every second of every day. Every time you spend a dollar, right? Because every policy. In Washington is driven by corporations and lobbyists that support corporations and it's all based on who has the money. And so, every time you go out there and you support organic farming or you support you know a a business like mine or or yours or whatever it is you're making you're you're investing in something you're either investing you're investing in life on this planet, you're investing in a way that creates reciprocity and sustainability, or you're investing in the destruction of this planet. So we all have to realize that we're investing all the time. We're investing every single day. We're investing in our thoughts. We're investing in our emotions. We're investing in relationships, how we raise our children. You know, every time we decide to watch something on TV, it's an investment. And
2: ultimately,
1: ultimately, we have to look at the risk reward of these things and understand what are the upsides and what are the downsides just like we would from an investing perspective.
0: Yep, I love that. Couldn't say it any better. So, so tell it, so with your, with uh, the abundance archetype, there's, there's eight pillars, right? Yeah. Can you kind of go over maybe a few, it's sure. kind of overview sure. or what's a good way to go digging into it a little bit.
1: Yeah, I'll dig in a little bit, you know, it's a very high level, you know, essentially in my course, there's, there's two streams. There's, there's this whole stream called the developing your own process Yeah. where, where I synthesized everything that I learned from Wall Street down into a six step process for here are the essential things that whether or not you're <clears throat> in a, you know an investor on Wall Street or an athlete or an investor in yourself just yeah. like I spoke about here are the six essential things that you need to develop your process but where you're talking about is the mastery section of my course where yep. then I said okay now that we know what our process is how do we become a master at it and so I started in my research studying Jamie wheel and Stephen Kotler who have the book "Stealing Fire" and many oh. other things like that, and they give credit to Mihai Chicksai Mihai, a, a flow researcher from the sixties and seventies until recently he passed away.
0: Yeah, he and, wrote the, he wrote the book "Flow," right? He wrote the book
1: "Flow" and many other beautiful books. Yeah, which I don't have off the top of my head, but he, he's quite prolific and, and and an amazing guy. He's got some TED talks and things you can check out.
0: I'm impressed at how you pronounce his last name. I was never able to pronounce it. <laughs> yeah, it's a very
1: Mihai Chickside Mihai. It's, it's uh, one of those, you know, almost same first name, same last name. Yeah, thanks. So I studied him a little bit, and he talks about William James, American psychologist in the late 1800s. Yeah. And so then I, went, then I went back and followed the trail back to William James. And I saw that William James was heavily influenced by India. Mm. And I said, Ah, isn't that interesting? And so then I got into the of yoga, and I essentially recognized that one of the four yogas, there's four key yogas, there's Bhakta, the, the devotional yoga, Yana, which is the more the analytical thinking yoga. There's Karma yoga, which is the, the yoga of action. And then there's Ashtanga yoga, which is the yoga of embodiment. Yep. And, you know, in ancient day, and even maybe in some parts of India still, Ashtanga yoga would be what is learned in kindergarten. This is essentially, this is how you act in right relationship. This is how you eat. This is how you move your body. This is how you breathe. This is how you meditate. This is how you become one with the object of your meditation and so forth. And and this is like something that was so essential for me is that I got out onto Wall Street through a great education, through a top university, a business school, and ultimately realized that nobody taught me how to take care of my body. Yeah. Nobody taught me how to go to sleep at night. Nobody taught me what my stool should look like. No yep. one taught me how to create art. No one told told me how to make love. Yup. I mean, come on. Talk about, you know, peak human.
2: Yeah, right. But you know, the reality
1: is, is we don't we don't know. We don't learn the things that that are essential to being human. Yeah. In our school system, we're not even taught how to think. We taught what to think. Right. Yep. So to me that this was like a really big, important thing of teaching people these basics, because I recognize that we have a lot of people, including myself, who aren't even in touch with their body, the kind of car they're driving around to their work, you know, which is essentially their body or ultimately being in connection with the one that is in the car, yeah. the, one, the same eye that says my arm, my body, the one that was there when I was 740 and will be there when I die right than, you know, me in the, in the truest sense you know i never learned that that's what i ultimately was in school either so when i started studying ashtanga yoga they have eight limbs to ashtanga yoga and one of the limbs the third one is asana which is the you know the the limb of the movement practice which is what we call in the west yoga right which is kind of totally typical american style of us that we take there's four kinds of yoga We then take the one yoga and we take one of the eight limbs, which is literally the practice of learning how to be in a particular posture, learning how to move your body so you can sit for long periods of time comfortably so that you can meditate.
2: Yeah. wow! it's not,
1: it's not even the end game. It's, it's the third step of eight. Right. And we're calling that yoga. Wow. Yeah. I'm a yoga student. I'm a yoga teacher. Well, no, you're the third limb, right? Right. Yoga is a worldview. It's a way of living and engaging with the world. And so anyway, that's just a little bit of a side note. But essentially, I I realized that those eight steps were the ancients way of creating flow states. Yeah, what they were calling samadhi, being one with this ultimate intelligence of the, of the, the object of the ultimate meditation and getting into a state of full embodiment being in their body, taking care of their body, doing what they love to do, being in right relationship to others, being in their heart space, eliminating distractions, opening up their, their focus, altering their state, mm. and then getting in into flow was, was essentially the key. And it was ubiquitous and available to all of us and really our birthright. And we've sort of devolved over time away from that with our education by you know focusing more on you know, kind of what I experience as what people think this idea of success looks like. Yeah. So I've, I've designed my eight steps in a modern version, standing on the shoulders of probably tens of thousands of years of, of yogis who scientifically, not a real science. I mean, the, the, the study of trial and error and seeing how things work and watching people and watching nature for thousands of years and paying attention and recording results in creating a system that's essentially what I think we're calling flow today.
0: That's awesome. I love that.
1: that's, That's the whole very high level. And if you want me to get into it, I could just say very briefly, the first step is really understanding what do I love to do? Yeah. And I have a whole list of practices for doing what you love to do, working on your morning ritual to create this kind of momentum for your day, and essentially working on a lot of your unconscious belief systems that are set up for you to, to believe that you have to do something else other yeah. than what you, you love to do. Yep. The, se- the second pillar, and th- these are essentially moving up the chakra system. So in my model, that would be the foundation, the root. Now we're in the second chakra, the homosexual creative energy. And this is where I get into Paul check's four doctors. Mm. Paul Czech's system has the last four doctors you'll ever need, which are Dr. Diet, Dr. Quiet, Dr. Movement, and Dr. Happiness. These are Paul's four essential pillars of what it takes to be a healthy person. You have to know how to eat right for yourself. Not what a diet book told you. There are hundreds of thousands of diet books in the world and there's more obese people than ever. So really knowing what diet works for you, what movement practice works for you. Not going into a group class where there's 30 people doing the exact same thing, but really finding an individuated approach for you based on your goals, your injuries, your mm-hmm. willingness and availability and, and etc and so forth so that's the second pillar is recognizing that once we do what we love to do we have to take care of our body in order to do it yeah the third the third one is what we what were calling yoga which is the asana which is simply learning how to set up our desk in a positive way so that we could have poise equanimity and balance so that we can sit for long periods of time or stand for long periods of time doing whatever we're doing in a way that's optimal for our posture. So why we can move into the fourth step, which is having optimal breathing and being in a a state of coherence, where our mind, our breath, our brainwaves, and our heart and our body are all in one. And we're starting to access so much more of our potential. Yeah. The fifth step, we move up into our voice where we're learning how to eliminate distractions, learning how to say no to things, recognizing that distractions are the death of flow. If we're, if we're in this conversation right now and we're like 20 or 30 minutes in, which is about how long it takes to get into a flow state, yeah, we can start sensing that I'm no longer thinking about what I have to do later. I'm no longer thinking about that. We're even on a podcast. We're just kind of having a conversation. But if I, if I went and checked my phone right now and saw a message from my brother, let's say, and said, oh, you know, hold hold on a second. This is only going to take me a minute to do. It's not how long that distraction takes. It's how long it would take us to get back into flow. Yeah. Because for, for a one hour podcast, we wouldn't be getting into this level of coherence with each other until it was over. Right. And so really setting up your day to really eliminate distractions, you know, finding out what's the first thing and the priority in the moment, and really coming from this place of what yoga calls turtling, where we pull back from all of the sensory overload and pull back into ourself and really focus on what do we need to accomplish and how can we direct that in this moment? The sixth one, we go up to our eyes, we now, you know, the, the the third eye in, in yoga or, or uh, the sixth chakra, but here it's now learning, learning how to use our focus. And this is not just what we talk about, like narrow objective focus, where we're staring at the screen, but it's learning how to have attentional flexibility, where yeah. we can learn- only not only to be narrow and objective but also have a diffuse where we're taking in the space between us right now the space in my room and around me the space in my body the space on the land outside this room and really not only analyze this situation but also immerse ourselves in it yep. and when we can, we can learn these different ways of attending to space we can regulate our nervous system better and have access to more information Seventh one, we go up into the crown, we're in the seventh chakra, and this is the concept of learning how to alter our state. We all, you know, not all, I won't say that, but many of us know the value of non ordinary states of consciousness, you know, psychedelics and all these kinds of, you know, drum journeys and cacao ceremonies and all these sort of um, new practices that are getting more and more popular. They're not new, they're new to many of us, but they're quite old. But for thousands and thousands of years, indigenous people had knew the value of altered states of consciousness. And in in my course, I created what I call microdose meditations, Mm. where little ways you can quickly alter your state through creative practices, by going out on a walk in nature, by seeing something that flirts with you in your environment, or, you know, many different ways of doing it. But the reality is, is that The playground of geniuses are those who know how to push and then when to relax. Yep. You know, many of us have had these experiences where these big breakthroughs don't come when we're working harder and harder at the desk. But when we step away, we go for a walk in nature, we go in the shower, we're on vacation, we're driving to work, right? And all of a sudden it's like, boom, it comes in, but then we can't just sit with this like epiphany. We actually have to put that into formation. So it's really learning this balance of when to push and when to break and play and yeah. alter our state and then go back into ordinary states of consciousness. Finally, once we've done all those seven, we are then at the archetypal level. We are what yoga calls samadhi. We become the same as the object of our meditation. If we're becoming, if we're doing this to become an investor, we're now one with the investor archetype. If we're doing this to become, you know, uh, more mastered mother or father we're in we're now we're one with the mother or the father or we can become one with abundance itself and in that way we're learning to effortlessly co-create with nature and let the divine intelligence and nature's intelligence really participate in the process and guide us so that we don't have to work so hard and we have access to more information and more potential
0: i love that that's incredible wow i want to ask you real quick you are able to cite a lot of amazing people and historical things and facts and information. And I know you probably like to read a lot, but can you tell us about that a little bit? Like, do you, how do you study and learn things? Cause I'm big on reading, changed my life. I used to not like reading at all, but like what are your thoughts on reading and learning and all that stuff?
1: You know, it's quite, it's quite interesting because I was just talking to a friend later today that I, I'm in a little bit of a, of a reading slump myself. huh. You know, I have, I have three, three kids and a fourth one on the way. My wife's pregnant at the moment. Oh, and sometimes congrats. like, yeah, thank you. I have these like, you know, incredible ideas. Okay. I'm going to wake up at 5. AM and I'm going to do my meditation. Yeah. I'm going to do my breath work. I'm going to go in the cold plunge. I'm going to read for 45 minutes, but then <laughs> my son's awake and he's like, let's go play trucks, you know, and like, he's
0: got other plans for you. Now he
1: becomes the meditation. Right. Oh. And so. I, I like to, I do, I, I do love reading. I've, I've certainly read a lot over time. I, I learn a lot from podcasts that, that I like to, to listen to. I learn a lot from audiobooks. books. The, the place where I've learned the most is literally through direct experience. Yeah. You know, even though I have my own course now, I'm still studying with many people. I still meet with Paul Check. I still meet with Jeffrey Armstrong, my, my yoga guru, um, white eagle medicine woman my shamanic and Native American teacher. I still have people yeah. in my life and, and, and many people in the process workspace. so I'm constantly you know playing a dual role as student and teacher. Yep. But one, one of the things that I think will be fascinating to share for, for everybody is that, yeah I'm learning to learn in different ways. You know, like I said, my, my own process was really becoming this student and, and looking to the outside world for more and more information. And my process has been a process of sort of letting go of that Mm -hmm. and realizing that really the wisdom is inside of myself. Yep. And that has been a big edge for me because I've constantly been trying to devour information and I'm really stepping into a moment in my life where I feel like I, I I know what I need to know Mm. and it's more about embodying it and experiencing it inside of myself. And one of the ways that I learned how to do this was by creating my course the abundance archetype. I spent a lot of time studying and researching and looking at options for this. I I created this course with uh, an amazing group called Freedom Builders and, and, and the CEO of the company, Mike Gonzalez, I was working with him weekly for a year, ripping up drafts and I'm like, I don't know how this thing's gonna come together. And I went on a sacred hunting trip that I put together with a bunch of friends of mine. I was with a buddy, Dr. Nathan Riley and Mike Salemi. And my brother was there and, and a bunch of other friends. And we're down in Texas and we're doing this sacred hunt with a really cool guy named Mansell Denton who has a sacred hunting company. And it was only in this moment after working for a year that I let go and we lie down under a pecan tree and just take a took a nap mm. that all of a sudden all of this new information came into me mm. about how to develop this course. Yeah. So that became the impetus to me is recognizing like, what if we, we we don't have to try so hard? Yeah. What if what if the market we trade, for example, was alive? What if your podcast Peak Human, instead of waking up every day and trying to figure out how can I get the best guests, how can I do the best marketing for this podcast, how can I you know promote this on social media or whatever your process may be? Yep. What if you what if you did that, but you also spent some time listening to her? Yeah. What if you can imagine peak human was actually a being or an entity or a personality, maybe a beautiful woman, maybe an animal like a jaguar, maybe a man, I don't know, maybe some kind of mythological or dream figure, but something that resonates to you that you can sort of personify the fact that our businesses, the markets we invest in, our roles, our podcasts are alive. And they yeah. have their they have their own dreams, and just like we can be informed by the intelligence of nature, Ooh. we can be informed by the intelligence of our entities, our our yeah. entrepreneurial um, excursions and adventures and, and businesses, and and even if we're buying a house by the real estate market itself, that there is an intelligence behind everything. And instead that. of thinking I'm going to control this podcast, what if I got into like a love relationship with it? What if I learned how to dance with it, follow and lead, you know, do all of my left brain work, but then be receptive and listen, mm. spend a few few times a day realizing that it might not be all about what I want. Maybe I'm just the one to implement it and then I'm like the CEO, but there is a chairman of the board, there Mm. is a higher intelligence with its own dreams and visions and hopes and limits and boundaries and moods and desires that I can then follow. And so for, for me, this process in this stage of my life is less about trying to learn more yeah, and digest more, but it's more about receiving and opening and, and, and it's almost softening and mm. learning for in that way.
0: That's amazing. I love that. It's kind of like the yin, yin versus yang, yang energy. And I know that's one of your symbols as well. It's, it's, isn't it in the symbol of your abundance yeah.
1: archetype? it totally is yeah. yeah you know polarities and balance of the polarities on all forms are essential from investing to living life well i mean there's no night without day yeah there's no there's no good without evil and you know the, these kinds of things come up everywhere being fluid in our relationships being fluid with how we learn being fluid yeah. with all parts of life is 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 essential to fulfillment and exactly. and, and mastery
0: yeah it sounds kind of like you talked about when you were trading, right? Sometimes you would just literally not trade for a few months, right? And it's hard for it's kind of one of I have some of my clients, they're traders and running funds and they tell me one of the hardest things to do is like to like to sometimes do nothing, right? Yeah. Like it was up to do nothing.
1: It's totally true. I mean, if you like this is this is an example of something I put in my course which might be interesting to those those clients of yeah. yours. So like if you think about what was what made you great at investing okay what made me great I would say was like I had this just really kind of like big appetite for risk like I wasn't afraid Mm. I really could just go for it and really just was not afraid to put on you know really big positions manage a lot of money and I really just had no fear about that and on the flip side if I think about what really disturbed me the most about other traders I would say that It was the people that I saw there sitting around doing nothing. Like Mm. some people would have, you know, you you come on board and you can, maybe you have like a two-year window where like, if you don't do so well in the first year, they'll say, all right, you know, you got one more year to prove yourself and then we're going to have to move on. You know, some some leashes like that are shorter and some some are longer, but you know, we we had like this kind of window where people had about two years to get something going and, and prove that there was, you know, it was worthy of the firm to invest in them. And I'd see people sit around for two years and never take any risk, and it would just drive me nutty. I'd be like, "Look, what do you got to lose? You know, just yeah. go for it. Like, if you don't do something, you're going to lose your job." Right. And they they, they were like kind of frozen. Huh. But if I think if I think about that, that was the same medicine that I needed. That was the same thing that when I had this go 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 mentality, I realized that I over traded. I, I I would have a ten- tendency. To put on things at times of the year that weren't process driven that weren't around the weather that even in those times when i felt that i needed to, to remove myself and not trade at all or be on vacation or stop when i was up a lot of money and just enjoy myself and not push it all the way giving back like 25 percent of what i had made into the year end when i could have just sat on the beach and you know enjoyed my family instead of like working on christmas trying to <laughs> push it even harder that w- what really disturbed me actually was the medicine that I needed to make me a more yeah. holistic trader. So we're, we're constantly needing to look at both sides of these things.
0: Yeah. I love that. It's a great point. I feel Everything in our uni- life could be medicine if we see it that way. Right. And we actually learn to follow our inner guidance system, which is, a, I was going to ask you, how do you actually, how do you follow your inner guidance system? Cause that kind of relates to what you were saying a little bit earlier about like learning to receive and like to a little bit and
1: Yeah, yeah. I mean, one of the honestly, one of the first steps is really the first two steps of my course. Yeah. You know, first all, first of all, working working on on your unconscious belief systems, like recognizing, like, what what do you want to create in your life? What's your dream? What do you believe? Because your parents, your teachers, you know, your coaches, your mentors, or society told you that is no longer serving you. That you want to, you know, get rid of. It's it's also creating a momentum from the first start of your the first step of your day. Yeah. Like this is the attitude and this is the frequency that I want to create today. And I'm going to going to lock that in from the first step out of bed. But ultimately, we can't be in touch with our body or we can't be in touch with what you're essentially what we're saying is our intuition if we're not taking care of the body. yep. If the body is not well fed, if it doesn't have enough sleep, if it doesn't have enough movement, if it doesn't have enough play, it's going to be constantly giving a survival threat. Yep. Chaotic signals. Something's wrong. Something's wrong feed me feed me the right food you need more sleep it's giving all this chaos and it's ultimately pulling from what we knew yesterday because it's in a moment of of control because we can't learn something new the body doesn't have resources to learn something new or to tap into something that it doesn't know when it's in a a state of survival it's in a sympathetic fight or flight essentially yeah the nervous ultimately we have to essentially do the steps that i've created which is doing what we love to do so that we're passionate about what we're doing and working on our belief systems yep. and then m- moving into a state of taking care of our body and, and, and starting to learn how to breathe well. And then we can ac- begin to access these signals that, that we spoke about. Yep. I mean, you know, if, when, when we're in a state of fight or fight, if we're watching a scary movie, we're like, <gasps> right. We all do that thing. Like where we're jumping, like, and, yep. and, and in those moments, there's a signal to our brain that there's something that's a threat. Yep. And so if we're not nourished, if we're not breathing well, our brains in this kind of fight or flight and, and, and ultimately our bodies in my model is our best investing tool. Yeah. What we're saying right now only has less than 10% of the, the available information in this moment, Yeah. our, bo- our body language, our, the tone of our voice, the energy, our posture, the way our eyes are looking, how we're feeling. Yeah. That has like 90% of the information. Yeah. so if, if you're a trader out there or you're doing anything and you're sitting there and you're about to make a big decision and all of a sudden you get a headache or you get a stomachache. I saw so many people on Wall Street just have bottles of Advil and Tums on their desk, just yeah. num- numbing out those signals. But what if there was an intelligence in that? What if that headache was saying that, hey, man or hey, lady, you might for- you might regret this. Or that stomach and your feeling that nausea in your stomach might be actually a signal that something you're doing is going to be nauseating for you. Yeah. And that you might actually take a moment to say, is this giving me an opportunity to rethink or reimagine what I'm about to do? And using it as an investing tool. If we're feeling bloated at work, where is my portfolio bloated? Yep. Where, where is it overweight? Where is it underweight? There's actually a dreaming component behind all of these things when we tap into it. But in order to actually get that awareness, We have to do some of these foundational steps like taking care of our body
0: yeah i don't know if you still make any trades now but how much more of a better trader would you have been now even though you're already amazing trader back then uh knowing uh and having the skill set and the tools that you have now
1: well you know like i said i i i I integrated these things on wall street for 10 years
0: oh you're already doing it when yeah i mean you know it's
1: it's it's been an evolving process and a lot of what I'm doing now is basically just putting the words to essentially yeah, you're like, what I did. I, I didn't know how to describe it to people or teach it nope. to people. That was a whole whole synthesis of becoming like, what, how can I take this and, and simplify yeah. it and actually put it into steps for people, right? Like, how do I teach people how to detach? How do I teach people to have a process? Well, you know, that was a whole synthesis, but this Got is it. essentially what I integrated on Wall Street for 10 years. and essentially, you know, to be honest, I think without it, I probably would be dead. Yeah, I really would. You know, I went wow. to Paul Tudor Jones, pulled me into his office when I was 26 years old before I started on this journey. And he said to me, I just don't think you're gonna make it. You know, you're, you're a great trader, you're already really successful. But I look around at, at the people who are my age who have been doing this for 2030 years, and none of them look like you. Yeah, and, and you know i'm worried about you and ultimately i think that if i didn't take care of my body i probably would have been a one-hit wonder there's no way i could have done it year in and year out and yeah. the reality is you know i wouldn't have done it with the sense of love and enjoyment and my family and my health and be able to explore all of these things that i've done in my life and so yeah i think you know we're all we're all we're, we all learn what we're learning at the right time for us yep um certainly I would have loved to have met me 15 years ago. Yep. Um, I, I had a lot of trading coaches, you know, Paul Tudor Jones worked with Tony Robbins. I know, yep. you know, you yeah, I know. Tony. He, would, yeah. he would come in, he would come into our office and, and work with Paul privately, you know, behind closed doors. So we didn't have access to Tony, but Paul knew that it was a very important part of becoming a very successful trader was having a coach. Yeah. And and so in when I first got there in 2006, he said, Listen, I want to start a pilot program where we're going to bring in like a dozen trading coaches and sports psychologists and psychologists to see if we can implement this more widely at the firm. And so I interviewed with about 12 of them and wound up working with like half a dozen of them. And we even had a, a psychologist on staff and we had a sports psychologist we would bring in. But ultimately, I never found a lot of value out of it because I always felt like it was one-sided. I had yeah. I had a trading coach who told me, "I don't care about anything that's going on in your personal life." Right. And I would think to myself, "How focused can you be at work if you're going through a divorce?" Yeah. <laughs> Try focusing on your business when you're going through a divorce. Try focusing on your business if your kids going through some trauma or, yep. or something like that. And, and you know what's the vehicle that is coming to the office every day? There is an intersection. If we have a bad day at work and we bring it home with, with us, we can get into a relationship challenge. If we have a relationship challenge, we might lose some sleep that night. If we lose some sleep some, that night, we're gonna have a, make a bad decision the next day at work because we're gonna have less cognitive ability and so forth. So ultimately, you know, me not having this at that time was a necessary process for me developing this and now being able to offer this to the world. I, ha- I almost had to go through and see, you know, learn sort of through trial and tribulation what what was not available to this community and available to me to mm-hmm. know what it what it needed and what the greatest need was for my my services.
0: Wow. I love that. That's so amazing. So much value in, in this whole conversation. And I'm sure way more in the program that you uh have created for everybody. Um as you talked about that, I was thinking about oh that that's what I was. Yeah, it's like, well, check, right? Holistic health practitioner. I went through his that uh, certification with him. Um, but also in my coaching too, it's like I when I have my clients, usually they want to work on their business and their finances and stuff like just their professional stuff. But I also know, like at some point, we're going to talk about their girlfriend or the wife or their kids or their health and things like that. Because it's true. It's not, you don't compartmentalize a human, right? There's a constant dynamic thing going on uh, with the person, right? So um, that's a huge distinction.
1: Interestingly, what I learned was the same principles, you know, if, if everything in the universe is energy and information, yep. and if as above, so below is true, then the same principles, like the ultimate truths are the ultimate truths mm-hmm. things, you know, we all need to have water, food, air place an earth to live in shelter, you know, we all share these common elemental truths. Yep. Now, now, when I distilled down in in the business world, studying Paul Tudor Jones for 20 years, and I got down to like, what was like the core principles that really are important to being a successful trader? I realized something fascinating, which is that it's the exact same thing. If you make yourself the investment and you learn how to invest or trade yourself, Mm. looking at competitive edge. What's your competitive edge in business? What's your competitive edge in your life? Yeah. Okay. Once you have this competitive edge, you have to understand unit sizing. What is the opportunity in this moment? How big of an opportunity? Is it a big edge in this moment or a little edge? Yeah. Right. And then investing accordingly to to the size of the edge in that moment. Well, in our life, it's how do we invest our time, our energy, our resources, our money, our attention, our love, et cetera. And then we need to have systems of evaluation. You know, every trader will know you have to put as much information into like, what were the reasons behind this trade? Why did I do it? Where did I enter? Where did I get out and do a post-mortem after every trade? Well, in the same way, we have to do that in our life. We have to then become a disciple of our process. We have to stalk our process. We have to look at our dreams at night. We have to look at our bodies for feedback. We have to learn and understand Synchronicities and all the available information that's around us to inform our process and to update our process in our work and in our life. And we have to actually move over our comfort zone and step into unknown territories in work and in life. We have to learn from mistakes. Mm-hmm. We have to realize, you know, Paul Tudor Jones would say that one of the most important stops on the way to becoming a great investor is blowing up. Mm. Because having that big loss gives you that felt sense of what you'll never do again. Yeah. And you can really make that, you know, William C.C. C. Chen, one of my Tai Chi, my Tai Chi. Um,
0: oh, yes. For 20 years. Tai Chi school in New York City, right?
1: Yeah, I've, I'm, uh, I have a master level certification in Tai Chi from, wow. from his school. I've been with him for 20 years. Wow. And he says, invest in loss. And it's a very interesting That's... concept, but it's like, OK, a loss is not a loss if we invest in it and learn how to evolve it into something profitable, and this works in our life and in our business and in trading and then finally the art of detachment. Okay, you must know that every moment is unique in investing and that you can't ultimately control the outcome let's just say i'll give you an example let's just say you're, you you go to play roulette at the casino yeah there's 18 red there's 18 black. But the house owns the two green zero and double zero. So every time you go and you play roulette, the house has about a 5% edge. That's the house's process. It knows what it does. It knows it 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 wins on zero and double zero, and it doesn't try to do anything else. And on any one roll, it doesn't know if it's going to be red, green or double zero. But if it knows if it plays it long enough, if it gives you the free drinks. If it takes out the windows and the clocks and it gets you to play over and over and over again and doesn't change the process and, and knows what it does, it knows it's competitive edge and it sticks to it, it's going to collect its 5%. And that's the same in trading and that's the same in life.
0: Yeah, that's so true. I love that. Yeah. Um, How did you use art and meditation to recover from losing $100 million in two hours? <laughs>
1: <laughs> <laughs> yeah, so... Yeah, this is, this is, this is kind of a long story, but ultimately it was just one of the biggest learning from my losses moments. Um, My partner and I in 2012 were were trading Texas, Texas power. Uh, The Texas power market is called ERCOT and Uh we, we were, we were short Texas power, which is a very vulnerable position. It's a very illiquid market that has no cap. And so this thing can just explode on you. And it's like, the last thing in the world you want to be short in in a squeeze um yeah without without getting into too many technical aspects of it we were ultimately right on this trade and we actually made money but in the short term we mismanaged the path of where it could go which is actually absolutely the most important thing right the market can remain irrational longer than you can remain solvent is a famous quote i think by greenspan the, the, the idea is that you can be right in the end, but if you don't know how to get yeah. there, you can be completely bankrupt before you actually are right. So how to manage that in, in the size, in understanding the volatility and risk management and unit sizing is the key. But so ultimately we were right on the idea, but we were wrong on the path and the market just spiked on us. And in, in a matter of moments, we were down well over a hundred million dollars, like overnight and it was on a Friday morning and it wasn't, I was like, I looked at my partner and I go, I'm like, It's not going to be three seconds before this phone rings and we're getting pulled into Paul's office to have to answer why we're down $100 million in a position we can't get out of. And, you know, and so we were in there and, you know, the firm rightfully so was extremely um, concerned. Yeah. They didn't know anything really about Texas power. It's not something that they were familiar with market went completely blank there's it's like this is not like in stocks where you can just get out it's like yeah there's like no market and it's just priced like you know in in, in the ether and um you know he said basically you have until monday to figure out a way out of this thing and huh. how, we're, how we're gonna get out and so it was like oh man and so i went out to the hamptons and i went out you know to the beach and i basically just spent the first day doing nothing and just trying to um, gather myself and recover. And then the next day, I just sat out in the backyard with a huge art board and art, and I just started letting myself create and flow. And by doing that, I think I tapped into a deeper part of myself that really knew the way out of it that I couldn't figure out with my conscious mind. And all of a sudden, all of these ideas and colors and shapes and symbols started coming onto this canvas. And I took that Monday morning into my office, which looked kind of funny to bring in this huge artboard. And that was sort of the pieces of my my plan to, to show why this was actually a good idea despite the path. Now, we wound up actually being able to stay in the trade. The trade came back and made us a little bit of money. We made all the money back and then some. <laughs> but One of the biggest lessons I learned in that moment was never make any one trade your last. Because what happened was, 2012, there developed one of the strongest droughts there have ever been in the Midwest of the U.S., and corn and soybeans and, and these commodities that we traded went up over 100 percent. Had a huge, unbelievable spike in very deep and liquid markets, and it was probably an opportunity that, knowing the way we traded and, and the conviction we had in that, it was probably a couple hundred million dollar opportunity for us. So the the big lesson that I learned, and it was so painful because we weren't able to actually trade this easy one that had a great risk reward profile, that was very deep and liquid and could make us a lot more money. We were stuck in having to wait out for this other trade to expire. And we were handcuffed to not be able to have this other opportunity. And that painful loss, that, that experience of having that loss is something that I had to invest in. And it was very difficult. The pain teacher showed me what never to do again never to make every trade never to make any trade your last because you never know what's next
0: yeah sounds like that that was the kind of the greenspan quote right you just weren't able to stay solvent until you because you were right right but you just weren't able to to hold long enough right
1: we really were we we were able to we 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 just hung in there by like a hair huh. because yeah we hung in there and we were able to make it back but it it, it took up all of our attention and yeah. all of our, all of our risk capital. The firm said, there's no way we're going to let you do anything else. And we were like screaming, like you guys, this is the greatest opportunity. Like we see uh, this, this is like once in a lifetime, you guys got to let us do it. And they're like, no, you can't do it. You, you know, you uh, screwed uh, up and you got to wait till this thing rolls off and expires and you clean it up.
0: That's like, it's it was so- like the big shorty just keeps going, going, doubling down.
1: Yeah. And so, you know, that was just this, that was just a really big lesson of what not to do. And, you know, but that by investing in that lesson, it did help me have uh, another seven years of sustainability after that. Yeah.
0: And uh, there was uh, some value in it. A painting that's worth a hundred million dollars. All right, I want to ask you some quick rapid fire questions. Um, They're going to be maybe hard to answer shortly, but, or concisely, but.
1: I'll do my best. uh,
0: yeah. Uh, so real quick, what's a uh, net impact versus net worth?
1: Well, I mean, r- real simply, like all of us go on the internet and we say, what's somebody's net worth? Yep. What is this person worth? I mean, who hasn't done that? Yep. Right. But like, why is that important? Why is what they're worth important versus what their impact on the world is? Yeah, it, it, we should, we should it, it's one of the most disgusting things. We should be having lists of what's somebody's net impact what nope. have they done with their money not how much do they have sitting around in a bank account but how is it performing in the world and what's its impact no nope. that's a, that's essentially what i think leads to fulfillment it's having this mindset of what's my seven generational return
2: mm, i love that yeah. what
1: kind of generational wealth and generational health am i leaving what's my legacy and what's my impact for the next seven generations and not how much i have just sitting around in a bank account that may or may not be doing anything so you know, yeah. having a lot of having a lot of money is a great thing, but it's not necessarily good. There's a lot of people that have a lot of money that are doing terrible things. And there's a lot of people who have a lot of money who are doing great things. And there's a lot of money. People who have a lot of money who are just letting it sit around in a bank account, you know, sometimes even offshore. So the reality is, is like it, it, it should, we should be looking at what's someone's impact.
0: Yep. I love that. How was it talking with Ram Das?
1: It was very short and, and impactful. I, I ha- had the privilege of having a session with him at the very end of his life. And um, it was very, very deep and powerful. I was going through a very difficult time at the moment with my with my first wife. Yep. And um, I went to him and said, I'm dealing with this challenge. And what do I do about it? Would give any advice for me? And he basically said, you know, make, make that your yoga make that be your meditation yeah. make that be your teacher and how do you learn to be in service to the to the divine and to her while also and yourself while navigating that process so it was very short and very impactful and and he really touched me in a way that I still carry today even though um, you know it wasn't like a very long relationship that we had but I'm glad I had that opportunity while he was still in his body
0: wow that's amazing yeah. And I love that you you took that approach uh with your ex-wife at the time, right? Like most people they're resisting after friends, clients, family that have been through similar situations, right? And they resist it, right? So that's beautiful. You kind of like uh Tai Chi, right? Or Aikido, right? You're kind of flowing with the energy versus going away from the energy.
1: Yeah. Yeah.
0: That's beautiful. What's up? Uh,
1: for the sake of rapid fire, I'll I'll Yeah. I'll just keep it at uh as a a short answer for that one.
0: Oh, for sure, yeah. yeah. <laughs> and what's major deficit disorder deficit disorder
1: oh well you know i think i think this is like actually proven by by science now but people find that you know we're all we're all sitting inside all day long we don't have exposure yep. to, to we don't have exposure to sunlight many of us are afraid of the sun many of us are completely disconnected from nature you know we work in temperature controlled offices and temperature controlled homes and we get into our temperature controlled cars And we don't actually get outside in nature and we, 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 you know, experience the changes in temperature and changes in texture in the ground and get our, our feet out on the ground. And the reality is, is that we're also swarming in EMFs and blue light and computers and electronics and all this stuff. And, you know, one of the one of the biggest sources of a lot of our chronic ailments is our disconnection to nature that our ancestors for hundreds and thousands and millions of years were very intimate with yeah and so st- science has proven that for met for people with a whole host of of issues and you can look this up online just look up nature deficit disorder that a whole host of issues can be resolved from going and spending a week in nature yeah and so in se- instead of waiting to, to have to spend a week in nature or to wait till you have a chronic ailment you know yep. just spending as little as 15 minutes out, outside each day if you can with your feet barefoot on the ground or even just out in the sun with your shirt off or spending some time with the morning sun or the sunset whatever you can do to connect to nature it's not only good for your health but it's actually good for your business yeah because nature nature has an intelligence that can inform yep. you and, and let you see things differently yep. but you know that that's one of the biggest cures to a lot of the problems that we yeah. have with all these chronic health ailments is a disconnection from nature and really kind of the silent killer or the invisible killer, which is all of the electronic and electrical devices, Wi-Fi's and cell phones and all these things that we don't see, but are there.
0: Yeah. Nature is the ultimate technology. The next question, there's a couple more. What, what is biogeometry?
1: Well, that's a deep one. So to get to get into biogeometry, I would re- totally recommend checking out their website. You can You can find many podcasts from Dr. Ibrahim Kareem or Derea Kareem, his daughter. Um, Paul Paul Czech has at least two good ones with him. Um, Yeah, there are many others. Uh, Dr. Nathan Riley, a friend of mine interviewed Derea Kareem and and you can just do a search on there. There's many YouTube's as well. But the reality is, is that it's bringing sacred geometry into the home. Yeah. And my entire home was actually designed by Dr. Kareem and the whole the whole position of the home, the placement of the well, the shape of the house, the orientation of everything on this land was all designed with the concepts of biogeometry. And just in a nutshell, you know, what Dr. Kareem did was he went back and he studied sacred sites around the world. You know, 50 years ago, he was an architect and he went around and he studied sacred sites around the world. And what he found using these tools of, of subtle energy detection, he was able to see that all of these places where they put pyramids and stonehenge and all of these different things in all parts of the world it wasn't the actual pyramid themselves or the stone structures themselves that created the harmonious energy yeah. it was the the land that they were on and these were just amplifiers from the natural benefits ah. of, of those spots which he calls power spots and so there's places in nature that are these beneficial spots and these places in nature that are negative. And you see animals naturally go to this. Animals naturally flock to watering holes, passing ones along the way through, you know, migration patterns that are not in power spots to go to this sort of biogeometry like power water. Yeah. Research shows that even birds may be migrating along biogeometry lines, that there's a natural pull of nature to be in congruency with this. And we've really been disconnected from the power of the earth. Mm. And so ultimately through his studies, he found that there were places where they do archeological digs and there were churches on top of temples, on top of mosques, on top of churches, where for hundreds and hundreds of years, religions were fighting to put their sacred spot in the same spot. And every time they go down deeper, they find a whole new civilization. And it was like, why, why did they care about this one spot? Well, it's because of what was underneath in the yeah. land itself. And so he recognized that through shape and through very simple applications which are way too long to get into now, yep. he can he's able to incorporate that by by really kind of harmonizing and bringing that into technology and into our home to create our homes as and our offices, our cars and our own bodies as sacred power spots and to benefit from the healing abilities and fe- healing qualities that are present in these spots in nature.
0: That's awesome. I love that. What do you love about magic?
1: Well, you know, magic is one of those things that like, it was like one of my first loves, you know, I don't know. I mean, for me, that my first two loves that I came into this world with were drumming and magic before anyone told me to do anything. I love those things. And what I ultimately realized is like those things that there's, it's not actually the drumming or the magic, but there's actually a nonverbal essence like energy, under both of them maybe under the drumming we can call it rhythm even Mm. though it's not something that i can even put to a word but let's just call it rhythm because it's 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 a feeling of the rhythm but let's just because i can't speak about it in another other way but let's just call it rhythm and under the magic let's call it wonder Mm. aha curiosity sleight of hand illusion that kind of thing right there's something underneath the magician and the drummer and what i found out is like when i tap into that that's what made me a successful trader
2: mm. feeling
1: the pulse and the rhythm of the market and when i would pull trades and profits out of thin air it felt like magic to me i'm like where did this come from this yeah. is like wow and having an, a curiosity and, and a wonder and an open-mindedness to the market the same thing as a, as a coach tapping into the rhythm of my clients. And every time I give them information, or I go on a podcast, and I give something a new way of looking at something, and I see somebody light up, it's like magic to me. And Mm. so ultimately, these things are, I think, the qualities that we come in with. And we all have our own unique one. And to the extent that you can get in touch with your version of magic and rhythm, and what is the essence like quality underneath it, the more successful you can be. And this really helped me when I left Wall Street and I thought to myself, gosh, I'm no longer this important trader. I'm like, what am I right now? But ultimately through this process, I realized that I was never really the trader. That was my way that I can express this rhythm and this magic and that stayed with me. And now I'm expressing it as a coach and now I'm expressing it as a teacher in the abundance archetype.
0: Mm, I love that, that's so cool. And then last two, what are what are some daily habits that you like to incorporate into your routines and your rituals? And maybe is is rock stacking one of them also? Yeah, I
1: love rock stacking. That's a beautiful one I learned from Paul. I mean, some of the ones that that I that I like to do is, you know, I really like to get into the cold every day. I like yeah. to get into my sauna. I love to work with my dreams. I have exercises in my course about working with dreams. I think dreams are one of the most marginalized technologies we have. Absolutely. So really waking up each day and recording my dreams and, and learning to work with them. I'd like to start my day by asking big questions, you know, what's something new I can experience today? You know, mm-hmm. what's the greatest version of myself today, really being open to new possibilities. Mm-hmm. Um, moving my body eating well. I love morning espresso done in a, you know, beautiful, ritualistic way. And so yeah, yeah, I mean, you know, ultimately, it's, it's, one of the greatest things that I've found is, is, is the use of mantras. Actually, I'll just share that it's like waking up each day and, and, and you can do this in whatever way works for you. Yeah. But for, for me, it's, it's singing a mantra and, and getting myself into a resonance of saying, and this is what I think is the key to abundance. It's that no matter what happens to me today, this is my attitude towards today. I'm not going to let anything that happens today change my mood. That's yeah. the only the only thing I can ultimately control is my vibe and my feeling and my my attitude, my resonance, my frequency And whatever it is for you, wake up in the morning and do something that locks you into that so you're just in there. Mm. And no matter what comes your way, you can come back as like a honing, honing beacon to that that frequency and just stay with that. And so, you know, that's, that's not easy. Life will pull off away all the time. I get pulled off my center constantly, and it's a constant practice of coming back, but really doing whatever works for you to really lock into that frequency of what you want to create and knowing who you are and no matter what life throws at you, do your best not to let it affect your mood.
0: Mm, I love that. That's that's yeah, I agree. And then lastly. What's your final message for the audience? Ooh, well,
1: that's a really big question, but I think, you know, the, the real, the real key to all this is that it's really essential to know who you are, to ask big questions about why are you here? What's your purpose? What's your impact? What's your deeper reason for being here at this pivotal time in history? And not taking your life for granted, recognizing that, you know, on someone le- on some levels, you are on an infinite journey yeah. of growth and discovery. But in the same way, you don't know that if tomorrow you're going to get run over by a truck. Yep. You know That's a reality we all face. Yep. And so don't wait till you're 55 or 65 to collect that pension doing a job you hate so you can spend the next five years of your life on average. Right. You know, enjoying yourself. Start today. Ask yourself if I was going to die next week, and I was looking, at, I was sitting on my deathbed, looking back at my life. How would I view my legacy? How would I view how I treated my family? How I treated myself? Did I follow my dreams? Did I do what I love to do? Did I leave it all on the field? You know, these are questions that I, I, I want everyone, I encourage you, to get in touch with today and to take it all um, as a precious opportunity to live your life to the fullest. Because ultimately there's only ever one of you and so the universe created you with a reason and to the extent that you can bring your own fullness out to its highest potential we all benefit from that diversity and so we're all essential and our individuation is essential and there's no better time to start than now one of my teachers Harry uhani Jim a Hawaiian kahuna that I study with says there's only two types of healing now or later which one, which one's it going to be?
0: Yeah, that's a great one. I love that line. Amazing. Jason, how can people uh, find you, connect with you, check out the Abundance Architect program? Where should they go? I'll put your website in the show notes. Yeah. Yeah. It's
1: pretty easy. Just go to jasonpicard.org and he'll put the, the like he said, the website in the show notes. Go to jasonpicard.org. You can find out more about my course. And ultimately it's a funnel for you to be able to book a 30 minute discovery call with me. If you're interested, and you feel like you're a good candidate where you could book a 30 minute discovery call with me and I could walk you through deeper how we can make this course work for you. One of the things I'm doing right now, which is a really incredible opportunity for people is, I'm not, it's not only a course, it's actually a 12 month mentorship program where I'm doing eight live group coaching calls a month for the exclusive members of the course, where we dive deep into this eight week course over the course of a year and I'm bringing in guest speakers and I'm bringing a lot of people. So it's very hands-on. So if you think that that's something that's of interest to you, book a discovery call with me and we can, we can chat and find out more. And you can also find me on Instagram at Jason Picard official, which I'm sure you'll add there too.
0: Absolutely. That sounds incredible. Thank you so much, Jason. That was wonderful.
1: Thanks man. Appreciate it.
0: Thank you for tuning in to today's show. If you enjoy the show, please share it to someone who would find value in this episode. Also, please take a minute to leave a review on Apple Podcast. It really means a lot and helps the podcast grow and reach more people. Click the link down below to join my Peak Network community, where I share all of my exclusive insights and strategies on the psychology of peak performance. Peak Network is a community of heart-centered, growth-oriented innovators who are committed to performing at their peak. We do this through coaching, thoughtful discussion, and powerful connections. You'll receive exclusive insights, tools, and strategies on the psychology of peak performance and high-performance habits. Try it out for a week. Join with the link down below for free access.